Are you tired of losing your rights and freedoms? The Alberta Prosperity Project has a solution for you. Join the community and learn more at albertaprosperityproject.com. And with you on board, we can achieve freedom and prosperity for all of us. Oh, hey, everybody. Good morning. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, and this is my co-host, Tamara Ugolini, and you are watching the Rebel News Daily live stream, wherein we talk about the news of the day in an unscripted fashion. And so because of that, some of you might get annoyed, <laughs> according to my emails. Uh, Tamara, how's it going? Oh, pretty good. It's uh, paving way into the Manic Monday that I know a lot of people can probably relate to at the start of the week. Um, so it's good. Uh, just busy day as per usual. But what about with you, Sheila? Every day is busy here at Rebel News. One of my <laughs> biggest uh, stresses at work is what am I going to have time to talk about? Because there's always like a million things to talk about. Not, mm, I wonder what I'm going to do today. I know some people think about that, you know, like a, a, at other um, news publications where they're like, I wonder what story I'm going to pitch today. Or I wonder what story is going to be assigned to me. And I'm like, ah, I opened up my email and <laughs> everything's screaming at me and I have to find a way to get to it all. But that's one of the reasons we do the live stream. Um, it's a way to get some of our opinions out of the way on the news of the day as it happens. And there's big, big news today, which we all knew was coming. Yes. Um, just, Justin Trudeau is scrapping the Arrive Can app. I'm full of opinions on that. But before we get to that, I should tell everybody how they can get involved in the show. Um, and the show today is as it is every second Monday, sponsored by the Alberta Prosperity Project. So they're a not-for-profit, nonpartisan educational society uniting Albertan, all Albertans' businesses and organizations to protect their interests, freedoms, rights, prosperity, and self-determination. So we want to thank our friends at the APP for sponsoring our show on usually every second Monday. Um, and for our viewers at home, if they want to get involved in the show, um, we're streaming on YouTube, but YouTube is a censorship platform. So, you know, if you're there, fine. I mean, it's easy to find us there, but might I suggest you move over to one of the other platforms and uh, we're streaming on Getter. But if you'd like to interact with us and support the work that we do completely willingly, unlike what Justin Trudeau makes you do with the mainstream media, why don't you head on over to Rumble or Odyssey? On Rumble and Odyssey, they have the option to leave a paid chat on Rumble. It's called a Rumble Rant. On Odyssey, it's called a hyper chat. And if you leave us a couple bucks there, we'll do our best to address your comment, concern, story idea on air. It's a way to democratize the show, give it sort of back to the viewer, but also for us to make a few bucks also on the same on the same thread. Um, now, arrive and again. On that note too, Sheila, I've been told just before we get into it that we're no longer reading the dollar chat. So it has to be $5 or more that we will engage on screen. I think we'll show the dollar chats on yes. screen. Um, but there's just so many of them that unfortunately we can't always get to all the topics that we have when we go that route. So we're, we're sort of siphoning it down to $5 and up donations that we will engage and read directly on the screen, but we will be showing anything less than that on the screen for all of our viewers to see. So just take note of that minor change moving forward, please. Great. I knew that. I just wanted you to be the bad guy. <laughs> instead of me. <laughs> Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, everyone at home. Now, uh, we've got a video of Justin Trudeau's announcement about the end of the, the Arrive Can app. So why don't we go to that and then uh, let's talk about it. Yes. All right, Jean-Yves Duclos. Based on the data accumulated over the last few weeks and months, 
we are announcing that the Government of Canada will not renew the order in Council that expires on September the 30th and will therefore remove all COVID-19 border requirements for all travellers entering Canada. This includes the removal of all federal testing, quarantine and isolation requirements, as well as the mandatory submission of health information in arrive camp. I mean, oh, better late it. than never, I guess. But I guess after this, they've ruined the summer tourism season. Yeah, I guess. Thanks for yeah. ending it as we head into fall. Thumbs up. Get a hero cookie for that. Um, but, you know, they say based on the data they've accumulated, what data would that be? The data that repeatedly shows they, they have no data on whether or not um, they have done any good to prevent the spread of COVID-19 on airplanes. I think we wrote this up last week. It was in an order paper question in one, of, like, in one of those days this week where it was just like a furious onslaught of order paper responses being published. And if you pay attention to those, and not all journalistic outlets do, um, once again, somebody from the Conservatives asked the same question every three months. Do you have any data? collected about the spread of COVID-19 on airplanes, and they never do. So they never even bothered to collect the data to support the imposition of the ArriveCan app, but they just did it anyway. Well, and there's been so many shortfallings with this government response that has not been based in evidence or any sort of, sort of scientific rationale. And we're seeing that more and more. I think we're going to get to some of the, a clip later um, that some a group of panelists, medical panelists, did on Friday at a conference specifically denouncing the restrictions and mandates imposed on the travel and tourism industry that's been entirely decimated all throughout COVID. While everyone else is opening back up and returning to some form of normalcy, Canada is over here saying, well, we trust our science and it's different than anywhere else in the world. And even as such mayors, you know, like we spoke about uh, I think last week on the live stream, the mayor of Niagara Falls and then the mayor of New York are both saying this is extremely uh, dev devastating to both of our tourism sectors. And, you know, you had the nonsensical imposition of the Arrive Can app on all of those runners crossing the, the yeah. border there in Niagara Falls. I mean, how does this make any sense? So I'm I'm glad that the government is finally starting to follow the actual science. And it just speaks volumes to me, though, that they cannot recognize their own failures when they're letting the requirements expire instead of coming out and saying, you know what, we've known for a long time that this doesn't work. We're not collecting any of the data. So we're just going to stop the charade now because it's clearly all pandemic theater at our taxpayer expense. Yeah. Um, again, that was in an order paper question. We wrote it up, but one of the other publications got around to it today um, that this is, you know, approaching $20 million that Arrive Can has cost. Um, just the taxpayer. But also, again, this is a story that I'm currently working on. They've done no financial analysis about the harm that ArriveCan has done to places like, you know, well, any tourist place, but, you know, those border communities like Niagara Falls, like Vancouver, Banff, Jasper, where it, these are places that just rely completely on tourism. Um, they did nothing. They just, they didn't even care about whether or not this stupid app robbed these communities of economic activity. They just didn't care. It was just, they were, they were gonna do it to you 
because they could and only for ideological reasons. You know, did you see over the weekend, you know, the East Coast is dealing with a terrible storm and they Mm -hmm. had difficulty getting repair workers up from the United States, places that had been missed by the storm to come up and reinstall electricity, bring services online. They couldn't get them up here because of the stupid Arrive Can app. So it's not just economic activity. We're not able to get access to aid and help because of this stupid thing. And instead of saying, you know what? We got this wrong. It's a big mess. Sorry. They go, "Mm, you know, the data, but they're not collecting the data. They just aren't. Well, that's not true. They are collecting the data, and that's one of my problems with the Arrive Can app, but I'll let you comment before I get into that part of why this whole thing makes me angry. <laughs> well, it comes back full circle to what I suspect is just this weird partnership with the World Economic Forum's known traveler digital identity program. This was kind of paving the way into that. We we saw it from the tourism minister um, paving the way to the digitization of the world. And so I wonder how much of this are kinks slowly being worked out under the guise of COVID and, you know, upholding public health. And they're going to work out these kinks and then relaunch this reinvigorated Arrive Can app, but it will be, you know, for for the digitization of the borders um, leading into your green energy credits, how much you've traveled and flown and how we can keep track and trace all of your movements cross borders and traveling. But it will only be for you and I, Sheila. It won't be for Justin Trudeau who jet sets across the globe at any whim that he wants and makes an absolute mockery of Canada on an international stage as we saw over the last two weekends ago at the Queen's funeral proceedings. So um, I I have a sneaky suspicion that this was just a pilot project with that known traveler digital identity. Justin Trudeau. And it's going to be revamped. It's going to be revamped down the road somewhere. I think we might have had a clip there. But um, yeah, it's uh, that takes me to my next point in all of this. Yeah, they've made the app not mandatory. So it's voluntary. So for those covid obsessed people out there who just love living their lives with the constant anxiety and adrenaline rush of being scared all the time um you can still use this app it's still there for you but that's part of the thing that bothers me here is the app still exists and if this were really over they should have gotten rid of it but they are still retaining the data they collected in it so if you were forced to travel and well, not forced to travel, but travel voluntarily, but you were forced to submit your information to this, the government still has it. They still know those things about you. They know how many doses you got. They know when you got it. And, um, they know when you're due for a booster, they know all those things now, and it's not going away. And the app is still existing and being maintained. CBSA is still using it, although on a voluntary basis, which means at a moment's notice, It'll come back just like that. Exactly. Um, if, if Canadians are getting a little too frisky and rising up against Justin Trudeau and expressing some dangerous opinions, um, don't think for a second he wouldn't punish you again with this thing when the next, you know, cold and flu season rolls around. 
Yeah, exactly. When we don't see that 80 to 90% uptake in the boosters that he's trying to push so heavily <laughs> still. Um, and these new, these new bivalent, uh, the Omicron specific variants of concern, specific boosters that were only ever tested on eight mice. I don't, we don't want to get it too nitty gritty here into the COVID weeds on YouTube. So I have to <laughs> unfortunately yeah, you censor do. myself <laughs> and my opinions because they go against YouTube's uh, trusting the science community standards, unfortunately. Sheila, I wasn't able to find that article with the 20 million uh, that was oh. spent on the ArriveCan app. Do you have it pulled up there? Can we run through that? Yeah, we've got, uh, Efron, I think you can find it. Blacklocks published it this morning, but Rebel News published it last week. Um, I know because I wrote it, so I know it went up because I wrote it. It was one of the 10 things that I wrote on that one day. But anyway, this is on the ArriveCan app. Um, the federal agencies spent almost $20 million on the ArriveCan app for cross-border travelers. Records show. Cabinet defended the program as essential in enforcing the Quarantine Act. Um, and that's the thing. It's not about stopping the spread of COVID on airplanes and making sure everybody was vaccinated on the airplane. It was the uh, information gathering tool so that they could force you into quarantine should they need to do that or want to do that. And as you know, regardless of whether or not this is going away, there are still quarantine hotels out there. And we know that um, according to order paper questions, those contracts are existing and in place for quite some time. Although the again, surveillance voluntary right? to continue. Yeah to continue to surveil you throughout your quarantine. And I mean, who knows for how long thereafter and how that data is being accessed and harvested even still. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the former um, comments by Jean-Yves Duclos, the guy who we said uh, the data now all of a sudden reflects something completely different than he said just a few days ago. Um, <laughs> ArriveCan is an essential tool. Yves uh, Duclos told reporters, you know, if we didn't have the Arrive Can, the time it would take for border agents to process the data that are needed to monitor and enforce the rules around the border, that time would have tripled. Um, so people could have just gone home. And I guess that would have been inconvenient for them. Um, authorities two years called the app an electronic collection method that allows travelers to submit their information quickly easily and securely the cost of the program were not disclosed at the time it's a critical tool although so critical it's not it's meant not mandatory anymore to process travelers with your requirement of the vaccine mandate transport goblin omar al jabber told reporters on wednesday it's a tool that helps arrivals as they arrive you know it's just two days ago it was a critical tool saving lives now they're like, uh, we're not even sure if it works. We didn't even bother to check. So no, it's not so critical anymore. So quickly how they change these things um, based on political whims, because it's not about COVID science. It's naturally about political science. And they see that the conservatives are surging yeah. in the polls now that they have a competent leader. And so they're thinking, oh, dang, um, we're not going to get a free ride anymore in the House of Commons or out there in the real world. And so quickly, how quickly they this, I think, is the well, polyev effect. Yeah, I agree. And I think that out there in the real world, they have been actually finally speaking to Canadians on the ground and seeing that they're fed up with this leadership and they're swaying now. That pendulum has finally started to sway back to logic and rational thinking. And the Liberals have clearly lost the plot and they're starting to, to see that with the consensus on the ground of Canadians and their frustrations all throughout the pandemic, watching our fearless leaders, Globetrot and Jetson, 
that without masks mingle with all the elites and eating the flame and y'all well they try to lecture us the little plebs to stay home save lives wear a mask and eat the bugs yeah justin trudeau's over in london just drunk as a skunk warbling out a tune probably just spitting on everybody i feel like he spits a lot when he talks oh the and then he comes oh yeah, moistly speaking or whatever he's speaking said. moistly. Um, <laughs> and then he comes home and then poses for um, pictures wearing a mask, sitting at a table with somebody um, wearing a mask. And it's like, who do you think you're fooling? Did, again, once again, did the science change when you came back to Canadian soil or did the political science change? Um, we should uh, bump ahead to this article on TDF's lawsuit against Western University being dismissed yes. um and then we'll uh we'll talk about the Kamloops documentary because it goes into the next article uh so tdf the democracy fund our partners over at the democracy fund registered canadian charity doing incredible work they brought a lawsuit against western university for re-imposing after tuition had been collected a booster mandate so not only just to be vaccinated but to now pressure you into a booster and it was brought by five students against the university on a privacy basis. Again, same reason that p- many people have problems with the Arrive Can app. It, now they have your personal information and they won't let it go. So uh, they said that it violated their um, privacy under provincial privacy legislation. So we had TDF lawyer Mark Joseph and L- Lisa Bildy of Libertas Law working on that. And the... I sat in on the hearing and it was fascinating to watch the Western lawyers say, well, because these other places are getting away with it, and they cited places in the United States, that we should be getting away with it too. That were, they were, you know, the argument from TDF is you guys are outliers in this. You're not allowed to do this. You have to stop. This is crazy. And um, Western's lawyers were saying, well, you know, they're doing it at these places in the United States and the students seem to be okay with it. So why, why shouldn't we be allowed to do it here? And I, the judge sided with Western, which is quite bizarre, but the good news is yeah. that, uh, we're bringing an appeal or TDF is bringing an appeal. I say we, because I feel like we're all in this fight together, but they're, um, thinking about, well, they're reviewing the decision to see if they have grounds to appeal, which I think is very important because, again, just like Arrive Can, it's not going away when people thought, okay, the pandemic is largely over. Everybody else on the face of the earth gets to go to school without having to produce proof of vaccination. Um, how quickly things can change. And all of a sudden, Western's like, yeah, not only do you still have to wear masks, but you have to show us that you got your third dose. And the crazy thing is, as I was reading through um, the, because I was covering the case, so I want to make sure I knew as much as I possibly could. Like, even if you work remotely for Western, like faculty, or even if you're a student attending remotely, you still have to produce your booster proof. Like it's crazy. But if Science. you are attending, if you are attending the university for say, you're part of a medical trial or a research project or whatever, like a you're a research subject uh, to attend sports there. Like if you're a spectator in a crowd with a bunch of people, no booster requirement there, not even proof of vaccination. But if you're a student or faculty working remotely, you had to produce a booster 
crazy. Or I think it was donors, alumnus, all of them were exempt from the mandate. Of course, the donors would be, right? You can't be biting the hand that feeds. Um, One interesting thing, and I I didn't read through the entire judgment, but one thing that, that did jump out to me, I saw that we had it pulled up on screen. Maybe we can pull it up again. Um, was number 71, the, the judge's reasoning for her decision or his decision. I'm sorry. I'm not even sure if I'm misgendering this judge. Um, 71 says, I do not agree with the applicant's characterization of the policy as being coercive in nature. Um, I do not accept, and this is, was obviously not the intent. I, I don't believe of the, the using of the word coercive, but I do not accept the policy will force members of the university community to disclose their personal information. No, I think it'll force them to get the booster. Uh, the policy forces individuals to choose between two alternatives, even if they like neither option. The choices that individuals to make, each choice comes with its own consequences. That is the nature of choices. And that's what we've heard all throughout this, these mandates and this narrative, right? Is that no, 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 you haven't been coerced or forced. You had a choice to make. And I always come back to the fact that especially in employment situations, when you're dangled with gainful employment over your head, to get this literally still experimental, like there were still collecting the data. We didn't know last this time last year that it didn't prevent transmission or infection. And oops, we might be getting into some nitty gritty on the YouTube. No, I think we can say that. We can say that now. They've changed. This is part of our job, Tamara. You know this. They've changed so that we can actually say the vaccines do not stop the spread of COVID and neither do masks. We can okay. say that now. We can't discuss some other fallouts of the, anyway. Right. Um, yeah. So we didn't know this time last year, right, that they didn't stop transmission or infection. You could speculate and you could talk to some experts on the other side of the narrative. Um, but now that we know certain things that we didn't know a year ago, um, it makes these these mandates and these restrictions a lot less scientific, as we are always told to trust the science. And back to that choice that people had to make when you're dangling their employment in front of them. And how, how is that? I just, I don't see how that is really a choice when you risk losing literally everything because you want to uphold your own bodily autonomy. And so it's really disappointing. I think that actually the title of this article was that it was disappointing um, that they lost this case, but I'm really hopeful that a, some sort of appeal process and application comes forward because um, I think that this is a really slippery slope. And the judge even says it all throughout this, this paper, their ruling paper, that it is a slippery slope to privacy collection. Um, and it's interesting because lawyers for TDF made that argument. They knew that that was going to come up because they had looked at this decision that had been made at Seneca college and they said, Whoa, 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 hang on for a second here. The court has already ruled that your charter rights, they can't compete with each other. So you cannot put people in a position where they have to choose to violate one charter, right? to maintain another. In this case, you cannot force people to um, violate their right to bodily autonomy for an ed- to be able to access education or violate their privacy right um, versus medical autonomy. Like you can't, you can't make them do that. And so the lawyers for TDF had made, they realized that that argument was coming up and they addressed it with prior rulings saying the court has already ruled that, you know, you can't, through policy, force people to be in 
conflict of their own charter rights, to choose one over the other because of an untenable position that some external force has put on them. Um, but it looks like the judge didn't agree with that. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. Yeah, very disappointing. And I think that this also lends to the fact, and maybe this is an unpopular opinion, but the way out of this is just collective civil disobedience, right? If enough people didn't comply with this mandate and said, you know what? No, we're going to take that reimbursement of our tuition paid thus far. And we're take going it up to head with the on donors. over to yeah. <laughs> yeah, somewhere else or yeah, take it up with the donors. Um, then this wouldn't have gone any further. It's the continued compliance that allows this to be continue onward. Uh, and that's, that's really sad. The sad part about it um, is that the judges we haven't seen, you know, we've seen some uphold uh, good precedents and then others not so much. So, and it takes forever and it's expensive. Yeah, it is. You know, and Alberta is a great example of this. You know, we sort of were the ungovernables during the pandemic. Our churches refused to close. Even our, you know, even when they arrested our pastors, they just kept the churches open. Our restaurants refused to close. Even when they arrested the restaurant owners, other ones just stayed open. Um, the border blockade at Coots. To, it, I think, is directly responsible for the end of the vaccine passport here in Alberta. I mean, it, the politicians yeah. say it wasn't, but it was like instantly. As soon as they were protesting down there, it was gone. As soon as the convoy started headed, heading to mm -hmm. Ottawa, Scott Moe in Saskatchewan's like, you know what, by the way, we got to get rid of that vaccine passport. <laughs> like, He, he didn't want to get convoyed. Um, so, you know, there there is something to be said for just saying no, that our politicians only govern with the consent of the govern. And so mm -hmm. if we just don't go along, what other choice do they have? They literally cannot arrest us all. Well, they tried exactly. at some point, but they, they couldn't. Well, yeah. you know, you that, were thrown in jail for walking on this. <laughs> well, exactly. That's just it. And then when they, when a group, a larger group did it again, a few weeks later, they couldn't arrest everyone and throw them all in jail. Right. They tried to fine and ticket everybody. And actually I should do an update on that soon because we have, have updates for where those tickets ended up. And I don't want to give any spoil alerts, but, um, it wasn't anywhere in front of the courts. So yeah, that's, that's just it. When you start to, and, and then you start to highlight how much this doesn't make sense and how, if you start to speak out and say, you know, this doesn't make sense and I don't agree with it, then that snowballs and people start to say, okay, well, we also don't agree. So let's get behind and collectively, you know, denounce some of these measures. And then you have more of a backing and more of a say, because you've gathered others into your movement to say, you know, we agree this doesn't make sense and we're tired of being silenced and labeled, you know, as far right conspiracy theorists, because we don't want to take a third injection that isn't going to prevent transmission or infection. You know, that I think, again, that's the convoy effect, you know, like you maybe didn't know all those people, you know, like I know mm -hmm. what, you know, we travel in these circles, right? So we know that we're not alone. But it, we're also rebels, so we are also inclined to be like, uh, even if I'm the only person thinking this, I definitely know I'm right. But there are a lot of people out there who who don't have that luxury of working for an employer who's like, yeah, go get them, and we'll sue everybody who looks at you wrong. But so I think the convoy had that effect on people. You know, like it started small, and then as it made its way across the country, it was people just lined up on the side of the road, on the overpasses, small towns, big cities. And I think for the first time, a lot of people who were skeptics 
we're like, you know what? I'm not crazy. I am not alone. The TV mm-hmm. is wrong about me. Uh, they realize that, you know what? I've been completely, I've not only have I been gas lighted, lit by, you know, the politicians and the TV, but I've sort of gaslit myself by keeping my mouth mm-hmm. shut when I know that I was right and I am not alone. So um, there's some of that. It takes, it's like you were the first person to stand up and then you ended up in jail. But the next week, <sighs> crazy, you know, it was everybody else. Crazy to think that something so benign as walking a shoreline ended <laughs> myself in literally in prison. I'd never been to, I have no criminal record. I've never been in trouble with the law. <laughs> and I, there I was sitting in this cold gray jail cell, wondering how did we end up here as a country and as a community too. Um, so yeah, I agree that seeing others out there and making others feel finally um, vindicated that they were right in questioning this narrative all along. And finally it became socially acceptable to come out and say, you know what, this doesn't make sense and it hasn't for a long time. And we're going to start speaking out against it. And we need more of that. And I wish there was more people of Western, the students of Western have organized themselves beautifully and they've done a lot of great work, but obviously you need to hit them in the pocketbook books. So if more people just withdrew their tuition at that point and said, you know what? No, thanks. And even if you, you did get the booster, but you don't agree that it should be mandated or, um, you know, join forces with those people and take a principled stand because as it turns out, the courts are going to be a long time coming and it's going to be extremely expensive when it literally just takes the collective to come up and say, no. You know, it's funny because when we covered your story as a fight the fines case, when you got arrested for walking on the beach during the times of COVID, Ezra's like, what do you think about her? Should we hire her? I'm like, we must have her. (laughs) We must. She has to work for us. Um, And here we are two years later. Uh, Thank you, COVID. Uh, Let's keep moving. Yeah, And thank Um, you for taking a chance on me. What a great, what a great time it's been uh, ever since then. Unbelievable, really. So many people just don't even know my story when they hear it. Maybe I should write a book about just (laughs) how I became a rebel, because it's it's a crazy story. Yeah. You know what? David Menzies is the only one here with like an actual journalism degree. And the rest of us just Ezra saw something in us we maybe didn't see in ourselves. And here we are. Yeah, that was you arrested for walking on the beach, you little scofflaw. Okay, let's go into the next one. (laughs) Uh, We've got, uh, it's from the Northern View. And uh, these are inconvenient Indigenous people. These are not your activists blocking roads in Vancouver, getting paid by foreign charities uh, to do so. These are Indigenous people who want jobs in their community and they want to work the resources they've stewarded for millennia and the federal government, like the bunch of colonialists that they are, are saying, you know what? No, we've decided for you in Ottawa that you don't get jobs in your community. So an Indigenous group is demanding the Liberal government change its emissions cap policy and consider the economic impact on Indigenous communities. The Indigenous Resource Net- Resource Network, the IRN, is questioning the policy announced in July 2022 meant to reduce emissions from the oil and gas sector by 42% by 2030. The group believes the economic autonomy of Indigenous groups was not properly considered. We feel that we're being left behind, said Robert Morasti, IRN Executive Director. We should 
interview him, by the way. The emissions cap would be harmful to Indigenous communities that have successfully pursued ownership in oil and gas projects and to the thousands of workers and businesses engaged in the sector. This, I mean, of course, maybe people don't know this outside of Alberta because, you know, like you, a lot of people still get their news from the mainstream media. But if you, if I had to pick a, a, a resource or sorry, an industry sector out of the entire economy that I would describe as the most indigenous, I would say it's oil and gas because oil and gas projects, uh, leases, they're in indigenous communities. They're next door to reserves. The indigenous population is actually overrepresented by a percentage of population in resource extraction jobs. As this nice man points out, yeah, there are tons of partnerships with indigenous communities in oil and gas. The Miccosukee Cree are like, they own so many businesses, you know, my friend Robbie Picard, he works with, um, you know, the indigenous communities uh, as part of his marketing job, but he's also an oil and gas advocate. Fort Mackay First Nation, I think for the longest time, and it still might be true, Fort Mackay First Nation has lower unemployment than the white communities all the way around because of their partnerships in oil and gas. And when you have a bunch of do-gooders from Vancouver and Ottawa saying, you know what, we're going to slap an emissions cap on. I'm going to call them out for the racists that they are because they're taking Indigenous jobs away and damning Indigenous communities to more generational poverty and reliance on the government. Pierre Polyev's been really great about this, actually. He says, we're going to get the gatekeepers, as he calls them, out of the way. We have to unlock the potential of our Indigenous communities because there are too many roadblocks and barriers to them doing well. And these emissions caps and these attacks on oil and gas, just another thing. Yeah, removing the red tape is obviously a cornerstone of conservatism and something that I really appreciate on that right-leaning uh, side of the political spectrum. But something I also wanted to point out from this article um, is that they re referred back to a previous uh, ruling that the the government, the Alberta Court of Appeal ruled it unconstitutional um, to put a cap on emissions based on a policy and impact assessment act. Maybe you have more historical context on that, Sheila, but it says here that restricting what Indigenous peoples are permitted and not permitted to do on their own accord smacks of paternalism. And that was based on that court ruling. And so you know, if that's, there's already a precedence there and they've already said, you know, using the word paternalism, that is a big step for the fact that I hope that this doesn't, doesn't move forward and the indigenous group is successful in their opposition because how paternalistic has the Justin Trudeau government been to literally all Canadians, um, and, and not in a very successful or way that, that, moves them forward. And then the group also says something here. Um, yeah, the last paragraph that the, the energy crisis disproportionately affects indigenous communities. It is already a struggle for the average indigenous household to afford food, shelter, and utilities. The energy crisis is becoming a poverty crisis in our communities. I mean, welcome to Canada as a whole, but they are obviously being disproportionately affected by this and then are just going to be further disregarded and let down by 
these, the liberal bureaucrats who really don't have any skin in the game and, and never do on these issues, it seems they're going to continue getting paid unabated. Yeah. Um, the uh, decision by the Alberta government or by the, the court um, when the Alberta government challenged this was that um, it did impede the economic growth and decision-making of autonomous Indigenous communities. And I think that ruling came down in May, maybe May. Justin Trudeau, I recall, said something kind of stupid about it. Um, but it's it, it's so interesting that the, the left, who are so often like colonialism is bad, um, paternalism is bad, and but when their guy is telling Indigenous communities, you don't get to be wealthy. You don't get to develop your resources. You don't get to have $150,000 a year jobs in your community because of a decision we made in Ottawa uh, and the Impact Assessment Act. I think that's what they replaced the old NEB, the National Energy Board, like the assessment body. Um, I think that's what that was, a sort of a Catherine McKenna retooling of things. <laughs> if you can imagine how well that's worked out. But, <laughs> yeah, I was um, going to say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like it, it's, you know, you, you never, those are the, they march in the streets against colonialism and paternalism, except when it clashes with environmentalism. And then it's just, they're fine with this green colonialism garbage. And it's not just the green environmentalist movement. It is big environmentalist charities from outside of our country telling our Indigenous people what they can do, which should outrage every thinking person, but they don't care as long as they use the green agenda to control your life. Yeah, and those lithium batteries, we know, um, topic for another day, aren't actually as sustainable as uh, they're portrayed by government officials and the, the companies set to profit off of their uh, manufacturing. Yeah, okay, the, you know, that's a lot of... Point. It, Sorry, they're damning Indigenous kids in other parts of the world to short, miserable lives so they can pat themselves on the back because they bought a car they can't afford to charge in California. Thumbs up, guys. You nailed her. And um, has very few charging stations anyway. We just built one actually here. I was driving by the other day and saw there was all these new charging stations. And then they drilled, uh, they dug a, a, a pit or a trench uh, from the from the charging stations over to a diesel generator. <laughs> like, like, Did they it's really? Just, oh my gosh. I want to get some get photos or some footage yeah. yeah, before they cover the trench because you can see that there's the trench going over way beyond over to the diesel generators. <laughs> when I was in Morocco at the UN Climate Change Conference, I staked out a car charger because I was like, First of all, it's Morocco. The things that pass as cabs there, you know that they're not environmentally sound. I'm like, that thing is like four cylinders. It's running on one and a half. It doesn't sound great. So I staked out a car charger in front of the complex because I was like, nobody's using this thing. Is anybody using it? So I sat there for like hours and hours and hours. And then I was like Moroccan heat, right? And I'm like pasty Alberta white. It was like November. My I hadn't seen the sun. And I was just like, I'm going in. This is enough. I stood up. I leaned on the charger and it fell over and I caught it. And so I opened it up and it had nothing inside. It was just completely fake. I was like, this is all theater. They just put it here. Wow. It's a photo opportunity. Like, oh, look, we've got car chargers outside of the UN complex. But it was totally fake, completely fake. It was weird. Wow. 
Anyway, <laughs> I have no words. <laughs> the whole thing is fake. The whole thing is fake. Um, we should go to uh, an ad break. We'll show the ad for the Kamloops documentary, and we'll talk about how many tickets are left after that. Well, the remains of 215 children have been found in a mass grave in Canada. Do you want to get closer to the truth about what was actually buried at Kamloops Indian Residential School last year? So do I. That's why the Rebels are doing a live screening in Calgary at Canyon Meadows Cinemas, and we want you to join us. We'll be there to watch this documentary with you, meet and greet you, and answer any questions that you have. I can't wait to see you. There's more info below. Okay, I hear Efron out of the corner of my ear that maybe we should go to some chats and we're going over time because this has turned into a bit of a hen party worse than me and David Menzies. <laughs> so so uh, we'll get to that. Um, and I should let everybody know we only have 50 tickets left for the wow. screening of the Campbell's documentary, just 50. Um, I'll be there. Uh, Dre and Matt are flying in. Um, the Calgary team will be there. I'm not sure if Ezra's going to be there or not. I'm pretty sure he will be. Um, so we're going to have a bit of a Q&A with the uh, filmmakers when we're there. Um, and it's just great to get back out in person and also to support a theater, Canyon Meadows Cinemas, who is not afraid to show movies that they know might be controversial to people who don't want to talk about difficult things. They have hosted mm -hmm. our uh, trucker documentary our, on the Coots blockade, and they're hosting this for us, too. So great way to support them while you know getting the other side of the story by going to that and again they, you can find out more about screenings at camloopsdocumentary.com okie doke let's get into some of these uh chats and then we'll go back into the uh, madness that is uh as i forget what david calls uh that person uh jugsy lemieux no chesty lemieux yeah. <laughs> chesty lemieux <laughs> Just you, Lemieux. Wasn't that okay, the skunk so. from Bugs Bunny, Lemieux? Um, Peppy, no, Peppy Le Pew, sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, we've I just got jogged my memory. Jugsy Lemieux. Uh, as I said in the staff meeting, I went on, you know what, I'll just talk about it later. Okay, <laughs> University uh, gives us five bucks and says, I appreciate you two very much. Pronounce my name with a silent J. Okay, perfect. University. I'd like to mention that I donated $5 on Friday early in the program and another five during the week when Ezra was no mention of it on air. Well, I'm very sorry. Um, hopefully we can dig those up and I'll make it a point to read them next time that I'm on uh, air with whomever just to maintain our commitment to read your, your chats. And then we've got one from Fraser McBurney. He's a fight the fines recidivist um, from Hamilton and uh, boy, does he love his caps locks. Uh, it's just his passion. He's a passionate guy. So Fraser says the last time I flew, I arrived three hours before the flight living one hour from home meant that I left home at 2.15 a.m. This is a very Sheila story. Every time I travel, this is my experience. I had to take off 
My watch, shoes, rings, belt. I set off the alarm. I forgot my tie clip. Then I was groped. Uh, for breakfast, a coffee, and a snack. In the 60s and 70s, full supper on China. Yeah, sometimes I longingly look at some of the images of what it was like to travel in the golden age of flying. Now it's like you're just cattle, just getting shoved into a car and off you go to wherever you're going to land. It's not good. But yeah, I, I feel your pain with having to leave obscenely early and living far from the airport. And then with all the stupid mayhem at the airport, it's like, okay, well, I'll catch a flight at 7 a.m. So I should just um, stay in Leduc near the airport because <laughs> I'll never get there in time. Um, and then we've got um, snow roof, snowy roof, because it's five bucks. Why is the media not talking about the doctors across Canada that have died post-jab rollout? We have. We have. Yeah. And uh, I just did an interview with with Dr. Mackis on that. So the media, of course, that doesn't fit their narrative. So just tune into Rebel News because we've already covered it. Yeah. And then Trini Canadian gives us five bucks and says, my two favorite ladies keep up the investigative work. Where's Adam Sos and Juan Mendoza? So Juan Mendoza Diaz, he's gone on to do some other things. Um, and we wish him the best of luck. We're big Juan fans here at Rebel News. And Adam Sos is on paternity leave. Uh, he is... Um, He's very Catholic. So though he is a young man, he has many, many children. And so he's on paternity leave right now. And we're happy he's taking the time to be with his family. But you'll see Adam back very soon. Actually, I think he might be. If you are going to the screening of the Kamloops documentary, I am 99% sure Adam will be there. Um, so Adam's around. Yes. Adam's around. We can't wait for him to come back. But we don't want to take him away from his family. Okie doke. Let's go to this Oakville teacher um, because I ended up on a bit of a rabbit hole over the weekend because I was like, where does one get? Now, I'm not saying I want them for myself. I'm just curious. I didn't know such a subculture existed. I'm a very sheltered young lady. Um, I wanted to know where someone could get a enormous prosthesis like that person wears. And I ended up in the darkest parts of the internet and I'm still rattled and scared. Um, but anyways, over the weekend, there were two protests, one on Friday, one on Sunday, um, against the perverted teacher at Oakville Trafalgar high school, wherein the shop teacher, someone going by the name of Kayla Lemieux wears these Again, my father-in-law has used the word utters so many times in the last week. This big chest while running the bandsaw um, in, and bike shorts, by the way, in front of a classroom of largely boys. And that's where I think this is in. We're in fetish country now. This is like assless chaps and ball gag territory. Um, and that I think we would all say is unacceptable at school. This should be unacceptable at school. But. Apparently, the school board is perfectly fine with it. So anyways, let's roll some clips from that uh, protest. It's a big turnout. Yeah. Times have changed. We had a dress code back then. There's still a dress code. Okay, I think that's it. Yeah. Um, I'm normally the craziest not thing to me protesting at school, but I think this is next level. I don't think they were actually allowed on the school property, though. They had to be a ways away, so they just blocked the streets and brought it over to the side 
Um, but the thing for me is that this directly contradicts the dress code. And when we had, I think it was the one uh, school board employee said, well, the dress code empl- applies to students and not staff. It's like, how can you hold your students to a higher degree of dress code attire than you do your own staff? I mean, shouldn't the adults in their lives be leading by example? Yeah, that's like the no drinking at school policy applies to the students, but not the teachers in the <laughs> in the staff room, whom I imagine sneak a little something to, into their coffee sometimes. But uh, like, it's just, this is madness. Like, at my daughter's school, they're not supposed to wear spaghetti straps. Not that she would. She's like more modest. She likes to be covered up more than I do. Um, but this is horrific. I had a son who went through high school. I can't, I wouldn't want... It, it's weird. It's fetishistic for a female teacher to do this. It wholly inappropriate. Mm-hmm. But now for a biological male teacher to get off, clearly get off on uh, the attention to parading around their fetish in front of teenage boys in other times, this person would be written off as the pervert that they are. They would be the yeah. pervert at the bus stop wearing a trench coat and ankle socks and just showing you his wiener while you wait for the bus because they're oh. creepy, creepy flashers. This is modern day creepy flashing. That's all this is. There's nothing new under the sun. They can cloak it in whatever social justice nonsense you want. But that's what this is. This is the same old perversion that has always been. The bike shorts are the things that get me because you know that his wiener is likely fully evident too. If the nipples are like that, his wiener's on display too. I know it. I don't even, the mental picture, I can't even go there. The thing that drives it home for me is that this is a shop teacher. Like how much more inherently masculine can you get in a shop class with this grotesque display of appropriated femininity it's just mind-boggling that we're even here as a society that this is this is real life it's so hard to wrap your head around the fact that this could be this is reality for these poor students and parents I can't imagine being a parent and I would love to see and hear more from the parents on what exactly they plan to do about this um, infiltration into their school. You know, are they pulling their kids from the class? What are this? Are the students still comfortable going to the class? Um, there's so many questions here. This story just evolves, continues to evolve. And so as evidenced by that large protest from Friday, and then there was another one also on Sunday that we had, I believe Alexa was there again on Sunday for an additional protest. Do we have yeah, any footage do of we that have one? clips of that? I think that was a PPC organized one. I think the Friday one was PPC organized too, but um, it's, I just, as a parent, I would be off the rev limiter. Like I was talking to my daughter. She, she takes shop. She's actually quite good at it. She built me this really nice bench and she has like long hair, like down to her bum. People think she's ultra religious, which was fine because they were letting her into the gym without checking her vaccine passport. They just assumed she was like one of those like Protestant modesty girls. Um, but she like she's got to braid her hair and wrap it around her head so that it doesn't get anywhere near any of the equipment. They have to wear like tight sleeves or short sleeves. Um, mm-hmm. not like no like wig hanging down and prosthetic hooters 
on either side of the bandsaw. Like I don't even like even just on as a health and safety related issue. Yeah. Even if you put aside the um, the perversion of it all, how is how is anybody getting away with this? Why are the students being subject to a different set of rules than the people who are, as you say, supposed to be setting an example? Exactly. That's that's the kicker, in my opinion, that this whole house of cards could fall down onto. Because how do you set one rule for students and not uphold that same integrity, really, on behalf of the teachers and the adults in charge of teaching them and setting an example of how to be in society? Um, which, <laughs> my goodness, what kind of society are we preparing these children for? If this is the person in charge of leading the education um, of high school students. It's really concerning. Um, but as we see logic and rationale kind of out the window in the case of this fetish teacher, we see more logic and rationale coming back into the picture with the COVID narrative. And oh my gosh. My back just hurts watching no. this, by the way. <laughs> well, and I've had friends who are, you know, large chested women biological women who have gone under the knife to have uh, reductions done because that weight on their shoulders and their backs has, you know, has, has had ill health effects for their posture and their muscles and their whole everything. Um, I can't imagine that any sane woman would want to have that large weight carried around in front of them uh, for any length of time. This is just preposterous, really. Well, and it just before we move on to the next thing, because I know you want to talk about the doctors, um, you know, there's been some things floating around out there that maybe this is like a massive troll, that this guy is trying to get fired, sort of like Klinger on MASH, you know, when Klinger wanted his Section 8 by dressing in a dress um, while he did watch. Um, but even if that were true, your massive troll is still victimizing kids. If you want to get yourself fired so you can get yourself into one of those wax my balls situations so you can sue, um, why are you taking kids along on this wild perverty ride? So I've got no yeah. sympathy for that either. I've got no patience for it either. If you think that you are going to craft a lawsuit by behaving this way, do it on your own time. You don't do it in front of teenage boys. Again, this this photo is like taken from 25 feet away. You can still see the nipples. You can still see the nipples. Like it's just, <laughs> oh I just, my. I just, it's so much. I wanted to know how much those cost really is what I went looking on the internet for. And I ended up in the worst part of the internet. Um, I'm just so worried about, you know, what sort of cookies I've got on my computer now, but, um, I, I couldn't, I, I think it's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars to have those. Really? Yeah. I'm sorry. I learned plus it. the back problems. You're going to have to spend hundreds on a chiropractor later. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Efron, what do you, what do you want us to do next? You want us to do the ad break for the convoy documentary? Or do you want us to move directly into the doctors? Yeah. Okay. Let's go to the convoy uh, dock, the trucker, because the trucker commission is set to start soon as well. Yes. So we have the, yeah, they the convoy did, they documentary. They did delay it. 
The, yes. the feds did delay the start of the convoy inquiry, the Emergencies Act inquiry, um, because they're scared and things are coming out. And, you know, we've got more and more police services admitting, yeah, no, we didn't want any part of this. We've got, you know, the the side story of the RCMP commissioner allowing herself to be uh, contaminated by liberal politics in the mass casualty inquiry. So we, what we do know is that certain police forces are subject to, like I said, allowing them to become contaminated to advance liberal agendas. You know, they're worried about some of that same stuff coming out here. Um, you know, I'm curious about why the original police chief decided he didn't want to be part of this anymore and how they came about with the interim police chief uh, Steve Bell. So there's a lot of stuff going on, and we have a documentary about our convoy to Ottawa. We started off this convoy calling it Taking Back Our Freedoms, but our freedoms are nobody's to take away. So we're going to restore everybody's freedoms. People came here wanting to only do a day, and uh, the word with all the truckers is they're now staying for many days. You know, like a lot of people now are planning on days and days in Ottawa. So, we are here to end the mandate. I am not leaving. And we get what we want. We're not going to give up. I'm on lunch. I could be on lunch a long, long time. Now, before I get our bank account turned off, I said our convoy. And the reason I said our convoy is we embedded two journalists um, on the convoy the entire way. You can see Mocha Berserk, and he's filming with a trucker on the highway. So he jumped into the trucks to tell the stories of the truckers instead of allowing the mainstream media to frame them in a certain way without ever even speaking a single word to them. Um, so, and Celine, who accompanied Mocha, we hired her as an intern and we're like, by the way, you just started? Great, pack your bag. <laughs> You're going on a road trip across the country in the dead of winter to Ottawa. And she was such a good sport because even when she came right back, like they drove right back and then we sent her to the Coots border blockade, like just like that. So um, what a great sport she was. Anyway, that was originally available exclusively to our Rebel News Plus subscribers, which is a great reason to become a Rebel News Plus subscriber. You get access to all of our shows ad-free and early, but you also get exclusive content way ahead of everybody else. All right. And what a great documentary too. And so uplifting. Um, and really to be reminded of the, the sentiments on the ground from the truckers and everyday Canadians, and then remembering what the government did to squash that morale um, was really, you know, after months have gone on, it was a really nice reminder even for myself to rewatch that documentary and be reminded of just how aggressive and excessive the government approached that whole situation. So I'm looking forward to this commission that's going to be happening. I think October 13th is when they start it. I could have my dates slightly off though. Um, I, so by the way, I wanted to ask you, sorry, you were at the TDF event with Rex Murphy and uh, Conrad, Conrad Black, Black. Were you not? Yeah. Did you yes. get a chance to meet my friend Tamara Leach? 
I did. Yes. The two Tamaras, because I know there was some confusion at the beginning. People thought that it was me leading the convoy and I was Tamara <laughs> Leach. And anyway, so, uh, yes, we were, we did get a chance to meet very quickly. It was a very busy evening and she was quite tied up, but yeah, we did get a chance to hug in person. Isn't it like when you meet her in real life, you're like this, this, she was public enemy number yeah. one. She's, she's, I think she's probably smaller than you. We're about the same size and she, she had yeah. heels on though. So she must be smaller than me. I think she is like, she's teeny tiny and she's just this ray of light and happiness. And you look at her and you realize just how fragile and evil it was of the liberals to invoke the emergencies act so that they could put her in handcuffs and put her in jail and then actively do their best to keep her in jail for 50 days or 49 days or whatever it was. She's, I would be angry at the world. She's the furthest mm -hmm, she's thing from not. it. It's, mm -hmm. it's fascinating. She's just, she's a much better human being than I would ever be because I would be full of guile and bile and vengeance, but not her, not even a little bit. So anyways, let's uh, cut to this uh, clip of the doctors that you wanted to talk about, because I think this is really important because uh, the truth is coming out more and more a little bit every day. Well, and they're starting to see the evidence. Yeah. Next question, Tamara Ugolini at Rebel News. Please go ahead. Thank you very much, everyone, for being here to give this much-needed scientific update. Repeatedly throughout the conference, I heard that the border mandates and restrictions were ineffective in preventing the variants of concern. And given that Omicron and the variants of concern arose during a time when vaccine mandates were being heavily enforced by the Justin Trudeau Liberal government, and now knowing knowing then that, you know, at that time, unvaccinated individuals were being discriminated against and preventing from entering and or leaving Canada. I wonder what then the role vaccinated international travelers played on bringing Omicron and these variants of concern into this country. Yeah, step away. <laughs> so again, and I'm probably repeating myself here. Um, I think it was reasonable at the time. Many things were reasonable at the time when they were implemented based on the best knowledge at that point of time. I, I think what we try to outline today is in a situation where we have significant domestic spread of a respiratory virus, um, singling out international travelers um, isn't justified anymore. And I think that's the bottom line, vaccinated or not. Um, we would have hoped everyone gets vaccinated. Some people chose not to. Uh, as we uh, mentioned in, in our talk, I mean, one of the main reasons as to why we are where we are currently is the fact that many of us chose to get vaccinated. We are able to prevent severe disease. And that was one of the public health goals that we have had. And I would like to leave it with that. You totally skirted my question. Yeah, totally. Your question was good. Your question was, given the fact that we know the vaccines are not stopping the spread, but you were banning people who were unvaccinated from airplanes, how else did these variants of concern get into the country, if not for vaccinated mm -hmm. travelers? And he's just like, we didn't know. We, we okay, next question. We thought we did what was best at the time. And meanwhile, none yeah. of it was justified. And they were trusting the science, right? The whole thing has been 
under the guise of continually following the science and trusting the science and the experts and the doctors. And now they're like, well, wait, no, the science did actually change. So it's okay to say that now. And I think, again, that's the Polyev effect. We've made it more socially acceptable to come out and start to say, this doesn't make sense. And arguably it never did. And the people who were denouncing it and saying that um, were, as we've already mentioned in the live stream, ridiculed and gaslit the whole way along until now when it's finally starting to be less taboo to dissent upon the narrative. Um, so I was, you know, I, I was glad to see some of the things these doctors said. My second question was a little bit longer and hit the response was uh, a longer as well. So I'm trying to dig up. We took a clip of it, but I don't know if it ever actually made it out. So I'd like to publish that at some point today because uh, the doctor responds and says something really concerning that I'd like to draw attention to, but I'll wait until we find the clip and I can, I can dissect it a little bit further. Um, but I think that they still have to toe that line, right? That the vaccine is the reason why we are where we are today. And it's, I, I just, I can't get into it on YouTube, but um, yeah. they're finally at least starting to criticize and say, Hey, this, this doesn't make sense anymore. And the liberals are doing political science, not evidence-based science. So I also think the liberals and these fancy TV doctors, public health officers, mainstream media, I should have just said liberals and just quit repeating myself there. But I think that they are underestimating the absolute bubbling volcanic rage of people who were coerced into getting something they didn't want under threat of losing their job or because they were lied to, because they were told this is going to stop the spread and we are going to get out of this pandemic just like this. No more restrictions. You just get your vaccine. And there are people who are saying, you know what? I trust doctors. Yeah, I'll get that. And then mm -hmm. they get COVID and then they get COVID again and they still can't fly. They've got to upload all their information to the spy app. Arrive can do not underestimate the anger and vengeance of those people, they will punish these liberals at the polls because they tr there's nothing worse than betrayal, right? Mm -hmm. um, because they trusted the liberals, they trusted the doctors, they trusted their employers. So they did the thing they were told to do and they nothing changed. Do not underestimate people who jeopardize their health to do what they were told was right. They're going to be very mad, very mad the, the next election, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then I don't, do we even have time to get into, we said we would, it's in the headlines. So maybe we should just touch on it quickly yeah. because speaking sure. of the polls swinging, and I saw this in the media yesterday, uh, far right, you know, Italy's uh, mayor is in the polls and, and the far right leader is leading the polls. And it's like, why do we never see any talk about the far left, right? Why are liberals never called far left? They're just called liberals. Why are we calling this conservative leader? who's now been the elected uh, prime minister for the new Italian prime minister. Why did we call her far right, not just conservative? What makes someone far right and not conservative? It's just uh, the mainstream media really slanders and, and sways things in one narrative. And if that's not apparent to anyone now, I don't know when it will be, because I was shocked seeing that on the headlines yesterday, the far right prime minister. Uh, yeah, Efron advises me we have this speech. But yeah, I do think it's interesting that these people are like, wouldn't it be great if we had Hillary Clinton as the president of the United States? It'd be a great thing for women. And then, you know, like conservatives elect a woman and they're like, no, not 
not her though. Not, not, not that those woman. kind of women. No. You know, like you say that all the time about Albertans, we're backwards hillbillies. We were anti-women and it's like, have you, have you guys seen Danielle Smith? Like she was the leader of the UCP. She's probably going to be the next premier of our province. Um, but if we don't vote for Rachel Notley, we hate women. Very odd. Anyway, let's roll this clip. Potrei farne tante altre di queste domande. A monte c'è quella che ci facciamo oggi. Perché la famiglia è un nemico? Perché la famiglia fa così paura? C'è una risposta unica per tutte queste domande. Perché ci definisce, perché è la nostra identità. Perché tutto quello che ci definisce in questo tempo è un nemico. Per chi vorrebbe che non avessimo più un'identità e che, fossero, che fossimo solamente schiavi, consumatori perfetti. E allora è sotto attacco l'identità nazionale, è sotto attacco l'identità religiosa, è sotto attacco l'identità di genere, è sotto attacco l'identità familiare. Non devo potermi definire italiana, cristiana, donna, madre, no. Io devo essere cittadino X, genere X, genitore 1, genitore 2, devo essere un numero. Perché quando sarò solamente un numero, quando non avrò più un'identità, quando non avrò più radici, beh allora sarò lo schiavo perfetto in balia della grande speculazione finanziaria. Il consumatore perfetto. E questa è la ragione per la quale... Questa è la ragione per la quale oggi noi facciamo tanta paura. Questa è la ragione per la quale oggi questo appuntamento fa tanta paura. Perché noi non vogliamo essere dei numeri. Noi siamo qui per dire che noi non siamo dei numeri. Noi difenderemo il valore della persona umana, di ogni singola persona umana, perché ognuno di noi ha un codice genetico unico e irripetibile. E questo piaccia o no a del sacro. Lo difenderemo. Difenderemo Dio, la patria e la famiglia, che fanno tanto schifo a qualcuno. Lo faremo per difendere la nostra libertà perché noi non saremo mai schiavi e semplici consumatori in balia della speculazione finanziaria. Ecco la nostra missione, ecco perché oggi sono venuta qui. Scriveva Chesterton ormai più di un secolo fa, vediamo se, lo, se ve lo trovo, fuochi verranno attizzati per dimostrare che 2 più 2 fa 4, spade verranno sguainate per dimostrare che le foglie sono verdi in estate. Quel tempo è arrivato, signori. Siamo pronti. Grazie. Well, I think we know why they don't like her. <laughs> I think that, <laughs> that say, there's a leader clear. I can get behind. <laughs> I was just like, wow. she starts talking about the family, about how they want to turn you into a number to control you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No wonder people elected her. Um, and uh, I was like, is it, I was Googling, is it easy? to move to Italy from Canada. Like, you, you know, you, you gotta have a backup plan. I think she's great. Um, I'm watching all the feminists and male feminists, which just means rapists. Um, <laughs> I watch, I'm watching them lose their minds um, about her. And she couldn't be more normal. She believes in traditional values. She believes in, you know, Italy first. And, you know, mm -hmm. she has no shame in being a wife and mother. Um, and so these are absolutely the worst possible things for the left. They, they want you to be ashamed of being that thing where you thrive as a human being. And I think for women that is as, as a wife and a mother, um, they want you to be miserable alone and uh, eaten by your cats when you die. And that's, uh, I guess, the ideal life for them. And so, yeah, of course they hate her. Of course.
Yeah. I mean, she is extremely based speech there. I, I think it was a condensed form of obviously something longer, but uh, obviously a threat to the globalists. And um, how do we get that prime minister here? Right. Our leader is such a weakling. Um, he's all about the theater and making everything about himself. So um, yeah, maybe Italy is a nice prospect. I could go back to the homeland um, well, I think we just have... before you go on, uh, this is also, I think she is a reflex from the hard lockdowns of Italy yes. at the beginning. They had so many long, hard, controlling lockdowns. So when you have a society that has lived through the crush of that and then being called bigoted, if you you know, didn't hug someone from Wuhan fresh off the plane, which is literally part of what they said. Um, she's the response to that where society says, we did it your two years of misery. This lady's selling us something different and we're ready to listen and let this be a message to conservatives around the world. Let it be a message to conservatives here in Alberta as they choose a new leader, choose something so far from the conservatism we have something that speaks the language of liberty because soft doesn't work. We all lived through mm -hmm. the soft tyranny of the last two years. It, we have to do something different. Yeah, I completely agree. I think we have one super chat and then maybe we'll end on this video, a uh, throwback video of Trudeau. So we have one $5, uh, I think it was from times uh, sent in chats mm -hmm. last week that were not read. Is it true? You have to give $5 or more for the chat to be read. Yes. So we said that at the beginning. So we're just showing the dollar chats on the screen at the bottom. There it is there. We're just showing the dollar chats on the screen at the bottom. Um, you know, we have, we're already 15 minutes over. And so sometimes those dollar chats really add up. So, uh, we're making it the threshold of $5 or more, and we'll read it on, on screen and engage with you, but we will be showing those smaller monetary donations on screen for our viewers to see. So thank you for helping to keep our lights on and keep, help us keep up the investigative work that we do and uh, fund our equipment and all of the things that cost exorbitant amounts of money now um, under the Just Trudeau Liberals, where we've seen insane tax hikes um, over the last several years. So speaking of Justin Trudeau, Sheila, I don't know if you want to end on this little clip of him um, hindering some pandemic or not pandemic um, disaster relief in Quebec a few years ago. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, well, let's end on that because you know, he, the guy has got to be the bride at every funeral or bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. Um, and he's got to be the most inconvenienced guy <laughs> during a, a natural disaster also. So we'll go to that on the way out. Um, but I'll wrap the show now. Tamara, thanks so much for being my co-host today. I appreciate it very much. And I, I do enjoy these little times we get together because we talk all day, but we never actually like talk, talk, talk. So yes, uh, agreed. Fun. Um, Thank also you, Sheila. thanks to everybody. Yeah, no problem. Thanks to everybody in the studio in Toronto who's working behind the scenes to put everything together and everybody who works behind the scenes to make sure that you can find the show. Thanks to everybody who pitches in to uh, donate through the form of uh, paid chat. Appreciate it very much. Every little bit helps. And um, as David Menzies always says, stay sane. Let's cut to Justin Trudeau. I'm held up. 
people picking up bags. I've been waiting in line down the road for, for 30 minutes while you've been here soaking up the race. Thank you. You know? Excuse me. Excuse me. You're not getting my vote. This is a free country. It's a free country, and I'm trying to speak to him, and he won't even acknowledge me. Yes, sir. Thank you. It's not my challenge. I'm a oh, no. volunteer trying okay. to help someone save fair. their home. Sure, sir. We've been filling sandbags as well. Yeah. Okay. And, I just and you know why you're here? I'm, yes. While I'm you're here, here nobody sorry. can pick up. I am here while you're research. here, no one can pick I up don't know sand. That, sir. I'm sorry. Well, sir. why don't you make yourself aware? We are going. You know, to I was with a guy sir, who was a staunch today. conservative, sorry, sorry, and sir, he said sir, if you'd actually do work, he'd change his vote and vote for you. Sorry, sir. I just spent half an hour. Can you listen to me, sir? Now that I've listened to you. Yeah, I'll listen. Okay. Glad to be here with my kids. We've just filled sandbags for 15 minutes, which isn't enough. Up. Sorry. All sir. your RCMP sir. and security sir. held people sir. up from sir. getting their stuff. I can stuff. understand your frustration around security. I live frustrations with security every day of my life right now. That's something that I, that unfortunately is a reality in my life. Time but I'm taken. happy to he be here. They're about to open to these speak. dams. I'm happy to be here to speak with you, to listen to you, and to point. encourage more Canadians to come out and volunteer. More people are coming and volunteer because I volunteered, but I was in a for an hour waiting you, while sir, you were here your with a photo op. I have the most insincere thing I've well. ever seen. No, I'm sorry, really sir. That's, that's un un unfriendly.